I believe that every responsible adult here living in the city of Milwaukee needs to try to find their place and how to provide a, a safe, nurturing environment for our young people. Bridge the city, whoa, whoa. Bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. Bridge the city, whoa, whoa. Bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. And I'm your host, Benjamin Rangel. On today's episode, we're talking all about how some education leaders here in the city are confronting an important challenge, the digital divide. Now, before COVID-19 and the transition to virtual learning, the digital divide was a serious and complex issue that exacerbated inequalities across a variety of sectors. For those unfamiliar, The digital divide is the disparity between those who have access to digital resources like computers, smartphones, and the internet. These disparities, like many in our society, are divided along racial, socioeconomic, and geographic lines. After COVID-19, the necessity for communities like Milwaukee to close this divide is more important than ever. Most recently, the Milwaukee Health Department has prohibited schools from returning to in-person learning this fall, while the city remains in phase four of the Moving Milwaukee Forward reopening plan, and the Milwaukee Public School Board voted unanimously to begin the school year virtually for the first 30 days. In other words, to attend school, students in Milwaukee must have access to the internet and to receive instruction reliably and consistently some device other than a cell phone like a laptop or Chromebook or something. So how is our community stepping up? Well, on today's episode, we begin our conversation with two representatives from the MPS Foundation's Connect MKE initiative. Connect MKE has begun a campaign to raise $1 million in order to provide students throughout MPS with digital resources necessary to learn and grow during this crisis and beyond. With this campaign, we speak to Wendell Willis, the executive director of the MPS Foundation, and Tina Chang, the CEO of SysLogic, to learn more about Connect MKE. In the second part of the episode, we hear from Anthony McHenry, the CEO of Milwaukee Academy of Sciences, to learn more about how his school is bridging the digital divide and the steps they took and are currently taking to support students in a time of virtual learning. But before we jump into the episode, I want to shout out our patrons. Okay, Bridge the City's primary source of revenue is from our supporters on Patreon.com. You can give as little as $4.14 to help us continue our work and coverage of the important things happening in our city. Think about that. A cup of coffee can help local, independent, ad-free journalists continue informing you about great work happening in our city. Now more than ever, we all need to learn, grow, and get involved. Visit patreon.com slash bridge the city to support, and thank you to those who already support us on patreon.com. Now for our episode today, let's hear producer Casey O'Hollick's chat with Tina Chang and Wendell Willis with the MPS Foundation's Connect MKE initiative. Thank you both for joining us on Bridge the City. I'm super excited to learn more about Connect MKE and the efforts at um, the MPS Foundation. Um, I'd like to begin by talking about each of your relationships to MPS and the community. Wendell, prior to serving as the executive director for the MPS Foundation, a position which you currently hold, um, you worked as the chief operating officer for MPS, and you currently have two children in MPS. So not only is this issue near and dear to your heart, um, but I also imagine very personal to your family, your children, and their friends. Can you talk about what inspired you to work in education to begin with? Sure. Uh, Thanks for having us, first off. And um, so my path is not very linear to get to education. 
But essentially, I've always been a serial sector hopper, as Tina is well aware. So uh, going from the private industry into nonprofits, into the CDFI nonprofit lending world, and then over to education. And really where it started was uh, a couple of meetings with the executive team that Dr. Driver had assembled and having a conversation with her about uh, where we wanted to see our city be. And because of that lining up, uh, ended up being offered the position as chief operating officer for NPS. And I should also mention, I'm a grad, and then I have a, a grad in my house now who uh, is an alum, but has come back to town because of COVID. Excellent. Um, thank you for that. And I love the term serial sector jumper. Um, I think it's so fun to watch people's careers. And it's especially interesting when they are moving from kind of, you know, sector to sector. And Ms. Chang, you founded Syslogic in 1995 and have served as the CEO for 23 years. Now, we don't typically associate tech CEOs with the education system. How did you become involved um, with Connect MKE. Uh, Tamira or Wendell, uh, thank you for having us here today. And I am not a serial sector jumper. Um, as you can tell, I've been in uh, tech and tech services here in the Milwaukee region for it's actually close to 25 years now. And uh, I found my way to the Milwaukee Public Schools Foundation because as a business owner, and as a technical leader here in the community, um, you know, I firmly believe that there was so much that the private sector, so much that we can do to support our district and support 70,000 public educated kids within our MPS system. And there weren't great mechanisms for us to come together to be able to show our support um, prior to the MPS Foundation being reestablished and um, revived. So uh, once it was, and I really thank um, some leaders that were at the helm doing that, I jumped on board really quickly because not only did I want to bring in that uh, connector into the private sector from an employment perspective, but I also wanted to lend uh, anything that, that I or my firm could do to really recharge what our strategy was as a community, especially starting with our kids in that tech sector. Um, more than ever, we are seeing how important digital competency and digital enablement uh, has become. And uh, now I'm more invigorated than ever to make sure that that's available and that opportunity is there for all sectors of our community. Right. And in making these resources available, um, one project that we're working on that we're here to talk about is Connect MKE. Um, so guys, what is it? What is Connect MKE? So I'll go ahead and start and then Tina, you can fill in the blanks where I'm missing them. But the Connect Milwaukee initiative really is to make sure that all MPS students have the digital means to connect and be able to do their work year round. So not just a one-time solution because of the pandemic, obviously that heightened where things were for us. First getting a device home, that Google um, or that Chromebook, and really being able to use that um, to augment your learning or be able to now do online learning every day. But as well, the secondary piece that we looked at, once we were able to get 26,000 students that Chromebook, about 5,000 of those students needed really dedicated internet service and connectivity. So they might've been 
you know, you, you can, you know, as, as many college students do around my neighborhood, they siphon off from other people. So that might have been happening or they were utilizing a parent's device or they were using, um, you know, their parent's cell phone to get on, which is not completely reliable. And then many of our students are in the category of being considered homeless and they're not homeless without a home to go to, but they're going from many places. So maybe an aunt and uncle or a different relative, a guardian in foster care. So we wanted to make sure they had something that's dedicated for them. It's going to have high speed access and they're not going to have any disruption to what they're doing. Additionally, and Tina can get into a little bit more of this, but it's going to provide the security that we feel comfortable with that a student should need uh, on their end and be able to be tracked, et cetera. So if there's no there's any problems, we can help adjust that student's needs to, to where they need to be. Wendell, thanks for that. I'll chime in and, and give a little bit of history and context to what Wendell just shared. You know, when we um, all got sent home as, as a nation back in March, what we quickly saw was that families, and in this case specifically students, getting access to connectivity wasn't as easy as anybody would have thought, it, not only in Milwaukee, but nationally, uh, nationally. And so our key was, how do we move with some speed to ensure that connectivity existed so that there wasn't this huge gap in learning? Because we all know that um, for our kids, continuous learning is key to continuous growth, continuous readiness, um, and, and getting to that next level uh, where they need to be. And why getting connectivity wasn't as easy as we thought was that um, while some of the internet providers and the telecom uh, companies out there were offering immediate support, um, families were sometimes challenged for a variety of reasons in being able to say yes to that support. And so what I really appreciate is that our city leadership, the mayor, together with our MPS superintendent, Dr. Posley, really stepped up quickly to say, how do we take charge, take some ownership, and come up with some solutions where we could not just rely on families to have to do this for themselves, but walk them through that journey in a number of different ways. One of the ways that we landed is is uh, now tied to the MPS Foundation's campaign, um, specifically this Connect Milwaukee campaign, where we say the private sector can get involved in helping with that journey, helping provide families and students a solution, and making sure that we as a community really support the notion that internet connectivity is so key to future growth of not only students, but individuals and being prepared for that next job or being prepared for that next type of learning that we need everyone to have it. So um, I'm really excited that um, Wendell and MPS as a district and our city, starting with our mayor, all got coordinated to say everybody should have connectivity and that'll be a journey. Yeah, so you you're mentioning um, the support of city leadership, specifically local government, uh, Mayor Tom Barrett, and having the support of the local government. This helps involve internet providers. Can you speak about the role that internet providers are taking? This can a foundation or even a public school system be successful in this work without the government mandating that they're getting involved? I think every community is handling this a little bit differently. So 
there are some great uh, stories coming out of Atlanta and Oakland and other places of how local government and the internet providers are working together uh, to solve this challenge. Um, for us, it was really taking a look at what our internet providers or our telecom companies had available in our region and then working with them to understand how do we make this as affordable as possible, recognizing that we didn't just want a short-term solution for the next 60 days, but we really wanted a solution that could persist for continuous learning. And when I say that, it's coming up with a solution, again, one that's realistic and affordable that could be um, um, uh, enabling for the next 18 to 24 months of learning. And so from that perspective, it was really the providers coming together, being able to discuss what they could or could not offer, and really also making sure that we were meeting specific compliance and security concerns that we have for our kids, specifically meeting um, mandates from the CIPA, uh, Child Information Protection Act, uh, the CIPA um, organization and act and um, coming up with some viable solutions that would then be efficient to distribute in large numbers. So, uh, you know, the mayor coordinated all that. The MPS uh, leadership team then came in to understand nuances of where we could and could not procure, where we could or could not meet certain security mandates, et cetera. And we really just got a coordinated effort where they moved with some speed, um, quite a bit of speed, to pull the trigger on being able to get devices in kids' hands. Sure. Thank you. Um, and then just a question off that we talk a lot about this digital divide and that um, happens both with the students, but also with what the teachers are comfortable or how comfortable the teachers are using technology. Um, as we look long-term, at this is a long-term solution, how is it possible that the students will be educated at the same level as they would otherwise in classrooms, knowing that the, dis the disparities that exist across community, but also individual schools in the MPS system? Casey, I think what we recognize across the nation is that no large district was truly ready for the speed that they would need to move in enabling their teachers and their leaders to work digitally. So uh, we were no different here in Milwaukee. What we are really hoping for is that with this campaign, connectivity is the first step, but you bet that MPS as a district, we as a foundation, and then the private sector are also talking about how do we fund and and really set great strategies and plans in place to continue that education and that enablement of teachers and leaders to get better and better and better in being able to offer um, their curriculums in any way they need to, right? Because we know that at the helm of great education is your teacher. And the better we can enable them so they have the choice of how they want to teach is going to be the key. So part of our campaign really starts with the basic need of offering connectivity, but the ongoing part of our campaign is absolutely helping to bolster the district and other um, uh, resources to be able to help 
the teacher at the center continue to gain whatever level of competency and education they're looking for so they become really darn good at this. Right. That sounds excellent. But part of supporting the student means also supporting the whole family. Um, what can what should parents know about the work that the MPS Foundation is doing with um, Connect MKE, and what what should the teachers know as well? So you know, again, none of us saw this coming, so we had to reinvent and move with some speed. And in this case, it was starting with the students, but. The great part about the group that started the early conversations of this was recognizing it's one thing to get all of our students enabled and connected, but what we really needed to think of was how do we get the families connected? Because if the families were connected, um, oftentimes the student comes with them. So the next part of this journey is really taking a look at how do we leverage some of the learnings, how do we leverage some of the negotiations and the contracts and all of that good stuff that we just learned through this portion, this phase, and now how do we extend it or have to pivot into other strategies to say, how do we connect our entire community? So we are starting some of those early discussions. We are watching what other communities are doing across the nation. And we are watching technology, which is changing very, very quickly to understand what our options are going to look like to enable our entire city to get there. This um, makes me think about like internet connectivity as a public utility, much like electricity or water is. Are you starting to have conversations where this we look at internet providers moving from a private space to a public utility that needs to be fulfilled in every home. What are like, what is the response of internet providers? So absolutely. You hit the nail on the head um, in the spirit of the discussion of taking a look at internet connectivity, uh, much like we do with energy. I think based on community to community and specifically some communities' legislations and their laws, um, and taking a look in concert with some very expensive investments that certain internet providers needed to establish even to be in certain markets, we are taking a look at a number of different options. So uh, what we could essentially talk about in Milwaukee might look very different than the conversation even um, in our neighbor at Franklin. And so the answer to your question is not as simple as, hey, here's the common answer. Um, just because as internet providers came into communities years ago, uh, they were paying for very heavy infrastructure investments. And being mindful of that, it's really uh, created the trickle effect of where other competitors are in market, where other solutions are or are not in market, et cetera. So it really changes uh, what we look at here in Milwaukee, again, different, differently than what we might look um, at at a neighboring community. And so we're trying to get them all at the table, which, of course, they are at. Uh, but it's, it's right now understanding and comparing a lot of apples to oranges as we're figuring out what our playbook can even look like. And Casey, I do want to answer one of your previous questions that... Uh, was uh, related to um, what does our solution look like for students right now? 
on knowing that they are transient. And so that was a major requirement, a major challenge that we had to look on look at very early on. And that was this idea of right now, childcare um, is difficult for all parents, right? No parent um, ever expected that schools were gonna get shut down. And all of a sudden you've got that whole family together. Well, there are some parents that very much have essential jobs that are um, needed and they're considered essential workers. So you can imagine the child care um, and the needs of child care in other places go right hand in hand with that. So as a major requirement, we were a little bit constrained with needing to make sure that we had solutions that met that need. And therefore, the solution that we rolled out with MPS was a mobile solution. And what that really looks like at the end of the day is a mobile hotspot. Um, we ended up working with a provider that's a specialist in education in providing mobile hotspots. Um, they're called Kajit, and essentially they have great technology and software that can uh, really help uh, a fifth grader see appropriate information and data versus what, what might be more appropriate for a 17-year-old. And so that's where Kajit really uh, brought some strength to the table. Then Kajit software and the connectivity runs on wireless networks. In this case, the wireless network is a Verizon wireless network. And the coupling of that together with um, a cost-efficient plan and volume that made sense for us really uh, was the winning solution. Um, I have two questions to that. So, right, correct me if I'm wrong, but right now, MPS and the MPS Foundation will be covering all of the costs associated with internet connectivity in students' homes. Is that correct? So, uh, just a little bit of a pivot and correction of that. We are covering the cost of students' connectivities, and that connectivity will travel with them, whether they're in their home, in somebody else's home, or theoretically in any other space, whether it be a public space or a private space. So that mobile device is paired with their Chromebook or any device that they're using for their work and will travel together with them. So that's the first part of that. The second part of that is, yes, while we are absolutely committed to funding uh, MPS's round of this big volume distribution. I do want to do a shout out that other participants and other funders also came to the table very early to also help different initiatives that get kids connect connected. So one great example is United Way coming out very early um, to fund as many devices and as much of a solution as they could with 12 schools um, out of the gate. And so together we're making up for the volume that MPS needs knowing that they have 70,000 kids, uh, but we're not doing it completely alone. A definite shout out to others that have come out early. Of course. Um, and then this being a substantial and like long-term solution, will this need to be like, will the, um, the upgrades and what it takes to sustain this program need to be built into MPS's budget in like 2021, 2022? Or is this something that you see being funded by the MPS Foundation and other private public sector um, partnerships? 
So very early on, the way that we structured our campaign and how we came to the dollar amount of our campaign was to ensure that we could meet what we knew of, of, of the need for the next 24 months. So we are good for the next 24 months as we continue to take a look at the data that will show us and continue to make us smart about where need continues to be, what usage looks like, um, where it falls short and needs to be enhanced or where it might be more than enough. And we're going to get smarter within the next year of taking a look at that data to understand how we revamp and or stay the course. You can bet that school districts across the nation are taking a very close look at their budgets that weren't necessarily prepared for this big digital transition. They're taking a look at their budgets to understand where they can make some moves to do enablement where they need to do enablement. But the key is coming together as the MPS Foundation and the private sector was to help bolster that knowing that I don't care how you cut the budgets across the nation, no budget was ready for this because technology is very expensive. Yeah, so what, one thing I just wanted to add to it because you've both touched on it a little bit and we haven't um, really gone into in, in depth is that, you know, really this highlighted on the periphery some larger systemic issues, right? We, we're talking about the price point of the devices and the contracts and being, you know, able to actually access the internet. You know, what's happening across our city and across the state to some degree, right? If the state is at 40 to 50% proficiency, that means not just MPS students, but many students are not getting to where they need to be. Additionally, we need to be looking probably much deeper at root cause. And so, you know, Tina and I and, and yourself, we have the ability and privilege to upgrade our carrier or service, right? When everybody came home, my college student came home, I could change my data plan and go up another notch, right? For a higher speed internet. Not everybody in our city could do that. And as Tina stated and talked about, you know, looking at this as a, as a larger systemic citywide issue, but then the real issue, right, is that at least in today's construct, this is not like a utility. It is considered somewhat a privilege, but you need this for everyday life. Whether you're going to be looking for a job or doing anything in your daily life, you now need the Internet. And so what that means is the majority of our citizens don't have the economic wherewithal to get it and be as flexible as we are, which means we need to address a root cause going back to fundamentally do we prepare our students to get and attain, obtain jobs that are, you know, in high demand, that are well-paying so that they have that ability to take care of things themselves and, you know, not putting blame on anybody or any sector. But the reality is we've got to start looking more at root cause issues because as Tina and I see it, right, the future is a digital platform, a digital age, and it doesn't matter what job you have, you know, go back to my days as chief operating officer. Almost every role in the district from housekeeping staff all the way to the top in every part of the, the organization, you needed some sort of device to be connected, whether it's as simple as checking in with your supervisor or more complex with, you know, doing checks to see, you know, is the temperature in a building the way it's supposed to be? So if you're in the trades, if you're in central office, it really didn't matter. So if you look at it from just that perspective, We've got to make sure our students and their parents are prepared for a digital age. And so when they become parents, they're ready themselves. I think this highlights the fact that we, we can't have the disparities that we have in our city 
and we can overcome them, but we've got to work in a collective manner to create the impact we want to see. Yeah, that was really well said. Thank you. Um, before I move on to some action steps, I want to give you both the space. Is there anything else that we need to discuss or um, that hasn't been said that you guys want to say on the episode? Sure. So I'll start and then I'll let Tina kind of uh, finish that piece up. But I, I think it's important for people to understand that obviously we're in a very unprecedented time. You know, I have no idea what it was like, obviously, in the Spanish flu but they didn't have the same type of, uh, they, they may have had the same type of trials and tribulations, but it's a little bit different now because we're trying to do it in that digital age. And we're used to a lot of, um, we're used to a lot of things that we don't want to be without. So I think, you know, I would stress patience and tolerance. Um, when people look at what's happening either across the district or across our city, we're tackling a lot of things in a short amount of time. So you know, whether it's making sure our students are connected, have patience with us on that end, but also patience with their teachers and their principals. You know, for us, it's not as easy as some of the surrounding districts that have three, four or six schools. We have 158 schools and we offer eight different types of schools, whether it be Montessori to STEM to immersion. So I would stress that people be patient with what solutions look like because we, we try to tailor it to each school to each teacher, to each principal. And that's not easy. Um, but I can tell you right now in the conversations we're having, we're working with district staff day in, day out so that they can have the tools they need to make sure our students are ready. So so patience and tolerance would be, you know, I would say to the community, but obviously this is the time if, if you felt, you know, I'm going to be helpful towards students in, in Milwaukee and make sure that everybody that's coming after you have the tools that you need to be successful. This is the time to engage with us. Casey, and I would add that as an employer here in the region, and especially an employer of a technology company, I can't emphasize enough that the private sector um, needs to move with some speed in simplicity of things like connectivity for our kids if we expect that the next generation is going to be a prepared workforce for all of us, this is just basic need. And so just even being a thriving business community here requires that our kids get a start as early as possible. And we all know the power of the internet. And so, you know, I'd like to uh, just put out a call to action to all my private sector friends, but really anyone, to say uh, no amount is too small to give to this campaign. It adds up and it adds up quickly. The easiest way to donate, if you are so compelled, is to go to the MPS Foundation website, which is at mpsfdn.org, or to call the foundation office if you'd like to give in a different way. But we've got to move with some speed to make sure that our own kids are prepared for our own futures. And this is such an easy way to participate. Thank you. And that kind of covered those action steps. But um, Wendell, in case you have anything else to add, as you guys know, Bridges City is all about action steps. I can imagine listeners feeling that they might not have a role in this or that the problem is too big for any individual. Um, so how can people get involved in bridging the digital divide? And I know you both answered that really well a minute ago, so we can keep that as the action step. But if you have anything else to add, now is the time. 
So the one thing that I would add is that uh, we'll offer you, because this is very timely, um, you know, breaking news that we received a $75,000 gift from Herb Cole Philanthropies and Joanne Anton from their organization. And we also received a $100,000 grant from Greater Milwaukee Foundation. So roughly that puts us at 50% of our goal. So as Tina said, there is no gift too small, no gift too big. Um, you know, we've got actually gifts ranging from $1 and all the way up. So we appreciate everybody engaging because it really is a community-wide endeavor. Um, you know, I have to hand it to Tina because she never hesitated when she got the call from the mayor, got the call from the superintendent, wanted to bounce it off of me and our board at the foundation. And we said, hey, we're here to meet the challenge. We're not here to uh, hem and haw and worry about the ramifications of can we raise the million dollars or not. We're going to do it. Uh, we obviously need everybody's help and support. So we appreciate Tina kicking us off and leading us down this path. Yes. Thank you, Tina. And thank you, Wendell. This was a really great conversation. Um, I'm so excited to share this with our, our audience and our listeners. So thank you both very much. As Casey's interview with Tina and Wendell has shown, the challenge to make sure all students are receiving an education during virtual learning is daunting. Imagine being the leader of a school responsible for making decisions during this difficult time. As a high school teacher myself, I certainly do not envy school leaders responsible for finding solutions during COVID-19. However, up next on Bridge City, that is just who we talk to. Anthony McHenry is the CEO of Milwaukee Academy of Sciences, a public charter school here in the city. Let's listen to Casey's interview with him and learn more about how his school has worked to close the digital divide before and after COVID-19. My name is Anthony McHenry. I am the CEO of Milwaukee Academy of Science, a K-4 through 12th grade public charter school here in Milwaukee. Excellent. And to provide our listeners with a little context, can you tell us how you got started in education? Did you always know that you wanted to work in education? I, I grew up as a child wanting to be a sports journalist. I'd always been very much interested in being involved in sports. However, I wasn't the kid who necessarily dreamed about playing professionally. I wanted to, to cover the sports. I love the discussion around sports. Uh, I also was very fortunate to have some athletic abilities and a couple of other things that helped me earn a athletic, athletic scholarship to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I played football there. And after graduating, the only thing that I knew for certain was that I wanted to work with kids who had grown up in an environment very much like the one that I grew up in. I spent most of my childhood somewhere between poor and extremely poor and uh, was in a community that lacked uh, resources and didn't necessarily go to the greatest schools. So I knew I wanted to help kids that, that had grown up in similar environments. And so over the past 25 years, I've spent the majority of my professional career working in social service organizations that supported low-income African-American children and families. And in between there, I was a teacher and then an assistant principal at an alternative middle school here in Milwaukee. And so I've gone back and forth between education and the social service community, trying to figure out which is the best way to have the most impact on young people who are growing up in poverty. And then what brought you to the Milwaukee Academy of Science, where you're currently the CEO? Sure. Well, I, I think it's the biggest thing was I decided that in order to, to really give children growing up in poverty, particularly African-American 
children who are growing up in poverty the best opportunity for long-term success uh, to reach adulthood and be self-sufficient contributing members of society that it wasn't education or the social services it's really both of them it's it's being able to provide a quality uh, academic instruction but also provide young people with the supports that they need to overcome the challenges and barriers that they are faced with prior to coming to milwaukee academy of science i was the executive director of an organization called Silver Spring Neighborhood Center, where I had where I'd worked for about 17 years. And they really were leaders and experts in terms of providing wraparound supports to uh, to the young people living in that community. And uh, but but unfortunately, many of the children that were going to that organization were also really struggling in schools that were not performing, let's say, up to standards. And so when the opportunity came for me to become the CEO at Milwaukee Academy of Science, the thing that made it most appealing to me was the ability to wrap around kind of my knowledge and understanding of what makes successful social service programming with the the ability to really take ownership over kids' education. Um, as this is a K-4 through 12th grade school, I felt like if we can get the kids in early, provide them with strong academic instruction, along with the social supports, then we can create a really unique model of education that uh, would help our young people be successful, but equally importantly, um, show the community and in and, and our country more broadly that these young people can learn at a high level, uh, graduate, and then compete uh, in college as well. And can you tell us a little bit about the educational model at Milwaukee Academy of Science and kind of what makes your school unique? Well, I think there's a couple of things that, that really makes us unique, and I'm going to uh, emphasize again that we're a K-4 through 12th grade school. I would not choose to serve in, in any school where it's one or the other, um, simply because in Milwaukee, it's just very difficult to find uh, quality schools. And so if, if you're fortunate to, to find a good elementary, ki- elementary school for your children, you know, it's, then you got to go through the task of trying to find a good middle school and good luck trying to find a quality high school. And so one of the unique things and most important parts of our success is our ability to get our kids, our babies in here at a young age, develop some really strong, intensive, healthy relationships with with not only the scholars, but their families uh, that we can leverage um, throughout uh, their up to 14 years here at Milwaukee Academy of Science. And certainly we've invested heavily into a great appropriate rigorous curriculum it's one of the, the big leaps that we've made as a school is making sure that the instruction is uh, on grade level. Um, and, and also we made pretty heavy investments into our transportation program uh, because we do have kids coming from 21 different zip codes attending Milwaukee Academy of Science. Uh, we know that many of our families are moving multiple times during the course of the year and our ability to continue to service those kids is dependent on our ability to, to, to make sure that they can get to school each day. And so we've doubled down on our transportation. We're now spending over a million dollars to make sure that as economics force our families to move multiple times during the course of a school year and certainly over the course of a 14 year, um, over 14 years, those kids can continue to, to attend Milwaukee Academy of Science. And I really do believe it's one of the reasons why we've grown so quickly as a school because we've committed so much to, to transportation 
And then finally, the last thing that, that, that I would say is I truly believe that the responsibility of kids learning falls on the adults. Uh, far too often in education, we blame it on the children, we blame it on the families, we blame it on external factors like social economic status. The reality at Milwaukee Academy of Science is it is up to the adults in the building to make sure that our kids are growing and, and thriving academically as well as socially and emotionally. And we take that challenge seriously. Uh, and for those who don't believe that, that this is not the, the school for, uh, for them. And so we've created a, what we call a parent-friendly and student-friendly school that kind of outlines how we're going to make decisions and how we're going to support our children and families and helping them to be successful not only here, but also at whichever post-secondary option they, they choose to take. And now this episode is focused on learning more about what schools in Milwaukee are doing to bridge the digital divide. We know that this divide exists among different races and income levels. Before COVID, what was MAS doing to bridge this divide? Sure. Before COVID, I think MAS, as well as other schools that are really trying to uh, to reduce the digital divide is we were trying to make sure that each of our 1200 scholars had access to technology within our, uh, within the walls of our, of our school. And so we've each year have invested more and more to get us to, the, uh, to, to get us closer to the one-to-one. And in the meantime, we made sure that we strategically uh, used our devices so that each child would have opportunities um, to have technology in front of them, but equally important that we were using technology as a way for increased engagement level of, of our students learning while in the classroom. So quite honestly, our efforts were mostly related to ensuring that our young people had technology at their disposal while they were uh, at school. And then also for our graduating seniors, we had a strategic effort to make sure that uh, those individuals arrived on campus with uh, the proper uh, tech, uh, technology as well. And so now if we could talk about the impact of COVID-19, um, Milwaukee Academy of Science was highlighted in a piece by Israel De Bruyne for the City Forward Collective for your effective response to the governor's school closure closure orders in March. What steps did you all take to prepare students and make sure that they continued learning? It sounds like you guys had a great foot in the door when it comes to um, that one-to-one program and being you know, digitally there, but what other additional steps did you have to make? Well, I think the, the thing that the COVID-19 pandemic did for not only for our city, but across our country and, and maybe even globally, is it continued to highlight the disparities um, that almost at every measurement is worse for children of color and particularly for low income children. And so we are a school that tries to look at everything through a, a equity lens. And so in mid to late February, when we started thinking about the possibility and potential for our schools being closed due to the COVID-19, one of the first things we had to do was make sure that we increased the amount of uh, devices that we had available to our young people at home. And so we right away started reaching out to our supporters, foundations that have supported our school, and quite honestly, um, having a thought partner like City Forward Collective that was 
bringing uh, schools like Milwaukee Academy of Science together to think through this was very, very helpful and instrumental. And us being able to unroll an online program, a virtual program, the day after we closed. I think we closed on the 16th of March. And on the 17th, we had a K-4 through 12th grade virtual learning program. In terms of the technology piece, we were able to deploy about 260 Chromebooks to mostly our high school students and then down to our middle school students. And we wanted to prioritize those mostly because we, we wanted to make sure that our high school students were earning the credits that they need uh, to move forward and graduate and then go on to post-secondary education. And so we started with our high school kids and then, then worked our way down. We've been fortunate through the support of the of our community to be able to receive a couple of grants that have allowed us to now do some really unique things with our summer program, including some additional devices that are really that are age appropriate for our K-4 and K-5 kids so that they can continue to learn throughout the course of the summer. And then we have enrichment activities and a really uh, intensive online uh, summer school program that we have available to our young people in grades three through eight. And in that article by Israel, he did mention that some students at MAS did have to receive hard copies of materials if they didn't have internet access. Have you been working at all with some of your external partners to try and provide internet access to those students um, next fall or over the summer if you are remote again? Sure. There was there, there, There's two pieces to the puzzle. One is, uh, do the families have access to a device? And so we were quickly able to respond to that and have positioned ourselves to be able to, 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 to get devices to those that needed it. And then the, the bigger challenge for us was uh, being able to determine who did not have Wi-Fi or not. And one of the things that we learned right away was that many of our families were indicating that they had internet at home, but their internet was, was, was tied to their cell phones, which is not the greatest way to uh, learn. And so now we've kind of readjusted ourselves to to help parents understand what the type of tech, what type of Wi-Fi they need in order to to be able to have the, the online platforms that we have available to them. So in the meantime, we we had enrichment packets that we were getting out to families over the, uh, during when the school closure first happened uh, so that our kids can continue to learn. Many of our families had the ability to come uh, pick up the packets. Many of them were taking part in our, our meal program that we also had offered uh, starting the day after we closed and had uh, upward of 370 families that were uh, taking that were receiving meals each day. And then for those families who did not have a vehicle or their parents were uh, working and the children could not get here to get those enrichment packets or the meals, we actually delivered those meals and delivered those packets to their families. Again, trying to uh, look at things through an equity lens to make sure that our kids are getting the the, the information and also the, the food that they need uh, to continue to grow over the course of the summer. What we're looking to do in the in the fall is to be able to partner with uh, organizations that are willing to help us provide hotspots and other Wi-Fi internet access um, in the homes, and we will assume the responsibility of paying for that. Uh, as long with assuming the responsibility of making sure that they have the devices that they need uh, so that all of our children, in the case that we have to close again in the fall, uh, will have what they need to 
uh, continue learning. And one question that I have is, despite the success that you've had with your transition to remote learning and has been so incredible, uh, what challenges still exist or do you foresee existing in the fall? The reality of it is this. We can provide the best online platform that we can possibly have as a school. And we know that it's not going to equate to the the type of intensive, rigorous learning that happens when the the teachers are face-to-face with their scholars. And that's a difficult thing for us to to deal with because we're already facing um, what I would call an educational crisis here in not only Milwaukee, but in urban communities across the country where children are not um, receiving the, the, the education that they rightfully deserve. And so we are playing catch up for many of our scholars and every day that they don't have the ability to sit in the classroom with their teachers is a day that, that maybe they're learning and I'm certain they will, but they're not learning at the pace and rate that they would if they was in the classroom. And so that's a, a, a very difficult thing for me as a school leader that is committed to ensuring the very best for our young people. The other thing that we know for certain is some of our families are uh, really challenged to provide a healthy learning environment um, within their own homes. And so we know that somewhere between 60 to 120 of our scholars on a daily basis is uh, technically uh, qualified as, uh, as homeless considered homeless. Um, what's happening with those children's not only educational needs, but what's happening with those those children's uh, social and emotional needs and physical uh, well-being is something that we are working hard to try to figure out how do we support those families uh, and make sure that the kids are well um, while they're not in our care. And so those are challenges that we're trying to figure out uh, we're trying to connect with social work uh, organizations. Uh, we're trying to bring in a school nurse uh, to, to help support those families who have needs that may be beyond um, what we normally see here as a, in our school. And then, you know, there are other financial challenges. Uh, I mentioned that we provide school bus transportation across our city. Uh, how we're looking at transporting kids where the guidelines would have us to have one child per seat as opposed to two children in each seat, um, which means that we might have to almost double the number of buses and the cost of the busing, which as I mentioned earlier, is already over a million dollars last year. So those are uh, financial challenges that will impact our ability to do other things that we are trying to do um, to support our, our children and families. And so, and then finally, is how do we make in-person school uh, a safe haven, um, as we've been able to do in the past, where we have to really limit our the types of interactions that we have with our young people, uh, the type of experiences that we have. Uh, we like to provide our young people in terms of field trips and experiential learning opportunities. Not being able to do those things all chip away at the, the educational model that we have here at our school. Um, and and, and we have to figure out um, how to best replace those things so that our children want to come to school each day. 
What should community members know about the work that needs to be done to make sure students at MAS and even across the city um, have equal access to the technology and resources necessary to succeed, especially during COVID? We've all heard that it takes a village to to raise a child. And and if that was true before COVID-19, it's even more true in today's world. And I believe that every responsible adult here living in the city of Milwaukee needs to try to find their place and how to provide a, a safe, nurturing environment for our young people. And, and, and how can we support those schools in, in doing that very thing? And it could be as simple as um, looking out to your neighbors and seeing uh, are their children safe and do they have the necessary supplies and things that they need uh, to have a successful school year uh, it could also be starting to uh, engage with, say, the MPS Foundation or charter schools that 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 they may believe is doing a really good job in supporting them financially, or it could simply um, uh, asking are there opportunities to um, uh, to support uh, families that are uh, living in their communities. But it's really going to take the effort of, of all of us um, if we're going to make sure that these kids are having the best possible year that they can have. Um, none of us should think that it's just the responsibilities of the educators. It's all adults here in Milwaukee who care about the well-being of our city and our children should be finding ways to to engage and help support uh, our, our, our babies. And you kind of answered this question in our, or answered this in our last question, but Bridges City always asks our guests to provide um, our listeners with action steps, ways that we can become informed and um, participate in what's going on in the city. Do you have any action steps, additional action steps, excuse me, for our listeners? Yeah. So I'll just kind of rattle off a few things that I think um, listeners can, can do. Some of them are directly related to COVID and some of them are just related to uh, our ongoing efforts to provide high quality education for our kids. And, and starting with COVID, you know, again, um, reaching out to your neighborhood schools, reaching out to schools that you have relationships with to see, are there tangible things that they can provide, school supplies, um, Chromebooks, laptops, et cetera, things of that nature to, to help uh, schools meet the needs of their kids. Um, if you think about the cost of just one Chromebook, uh, which is a couple hundred dollars, spreading that over hundreds of kids, the, the cost can mount up pretty quickly. And despite what you hear uh, in the media, uh, there is not enough funding coming into the schools to, to meet the needs of, of those, um, those children, particularly those living in poverty. The, the second thing, again, uh, just to reiterate, um, on a more personal level, looking to your left and to your right and, and seeing what you can do to help um, your neighbors and people who live in your community uh, to support their children. But on a, a much broader perspective, um, we cannot continue to allow children to go to schools that are underperforming, not to pick on any one particular school um, or any sets of schools. But the reality of it is, if anyone who is looking closely or maybe not even looking closely. We've had schools here in our city that have been underperforming for decades. Um, many of them 30 plus years have been underperforming. 
we as a community have to decide that that each of our children deserves the right to a quality education. And how do we go about ensuring that? And what we know for certain is that doing the exact same things that we did in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s has not worked. So what are the other options? And let's start to look at those other options so that more and more of our kids can sit in schools where they are learning um, at the rate appropriate so that they can graduate, go to post-secondary education of some level and become self-sufficient adults uh, uh, years later. That's the only way we're gonna turn around this community. Um, Despite the great efforts of police reform, criminal justice reform, and all of those other things, if we cannot find a way to properly educate our young people, they will wind up in poverty. If they wind up in poverty, they are more likely to engage with the criminal justice system. Sure. Thank you so much for sharing those action steps, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was incredibly helpful for my own understanding, and I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of this as well. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Bridges City. Thank you to Tina Chang, Wendell Willis, and Anthony McHenry for taking the time to speak with us for this episode. Thank you as well to Katie Reinhardt, who is a huge friend of the pod, a patron, and connected us with Anthony McHenry for this episode. Similarly, thank you to Andy Nelson, who helped facilitate the interview with Tina and Wendell. Uh, Just a heads up, if you have anyone you think Bridges City should talk to or you want to be featured on an episode, just let us know. Reach out to us. You can visit our website, BridgesCityPodcast.com. Thank you to all those who listen, share, follow, and support Bridges City on social media and elsewhere. Uh, This episode was produced by Casey O'Holick and me, Benjamin Rangel. Editing was also by me. Music by Casey Masters. Please rate and review Bridges City. That helps others find the podcast and lets us know how we're doing. And remember, if you have not purchased coffee in a while, consider spending that $4.14 on patreon.com slash bridge the city to help us continue our work. Thanks to those who have become patrons recently. That includes, and I apologize in advance if I mess up your name here, but Courtney Ramchek, Will Olson, Springholes Houston, Rachel Stobe, Maya Jen, and Max Love. All supporters of Bridge the City at patreon.com slash bridge the city. And just a heads up, currently, if you donate at any level at patreon.com, you will receive a Bridge the City t-shirt, which reminds everyone to vote, connect, and buy local, which again, now more than ever, is super important. As always, thank you so much for listening, and please reach out to let us know how you have helped Bridge the City. Bridge the City.